0: Normally, I do an intro to the show based on my research prepping for the interview, but today's conversation changed everything for me. This intro was written after speaking with Star Parker and Rick Manning because the discussion made such an impact. What I learned is it's all about language. Here's the problem. Our nation has accepted the language of the left, and as a result, America was afraid to talk about freedom, afraid to talk about the issues that matter to us culturally. The lie that we were fed was that talking about religion and politics was impolite. If we are afraid to express our beliefs as Christians, then we're not Christians. Jesus didn't tell the disciples to sit in your basement and think about it. He said, go forth and make disciples, and he means it for us today. When we accepted the language of the left, they were able to take a hold on our culture and begin to push at ideas that were contrary to our founding, contrary to the principles of Christianity, the virtues of capitalism, and the rule of law that's outlined in our Constitution we need to stop complaining. We're not going to win the debate with the left. We're not going to be able to curse our way out of the old model. We're not going to be able to fight our way out of the old model. You have to build a new model and make their model obsolete. Star Parker and Rick Manning's book, Necessary Noise, does exactly that by providing a new approach and framework for how to take part in this important time in our history using our voices in an effective way rather than the current methods of complaining and shutting down the dialogue by calling the other side stupid or some ist or ism word. I love this country so much and want to do all I can to stand up for the principles that has made it great. I even started an entire patriotic purpose-driven resource platform to showcase people who share those values to have their stories heard. That's what this show is all about. But I need to do more. When I asked Star what can us average people do to change the direction of where we're headed, she said, buy 10 copies of the book and give them to your friends. That inspired me to create our new campaign, Books for Good. We're now featuring meaningful, positive, and transformational books on our Everything Home Socially Conscious Marketplace, so there's a resource to find the authors who can improve your life, business, and our society. The best part is, when you buy a book in any version, print, Kindle, Audible, or audio CD, 2% of your total purchase price is donated to help vets, pets, and kids. Just go to reviveouramericandreamauthors.com to see the wide selection of topics and authors who are the true change makers for good. Since I believe in Star and Rick's mission, and it really motivated me today, I wanted to do something extra special to help spread their message. If you buy their book, Necessary Noise, from NecessaryNoiseBook.com, 2% of your total purchase price will be donated to STAR's nonprofit, Cure, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. The funds will support a program for kids in the communities in which her organization serves. Visit NecessaryNoiseBook.com, buy the book for yourself, for your friends, and contribute to making a change and making a difference. I hope this episode inspires you too. Enjoy the show. Today's topic, Star Parker and Rick Manning talk
2: Necessary Noise, Trump and the Culture War. It's all about their new book, Necessary Noise, how Donald Trump inflames the culture war and why this is good news for America. I'm not gonna read their bios because it's not nearly as powerful as hearing their personal stories. So I would like these two great patriots to share a little bit about themselves and why they do what they do because it is incredibly interesting. But first I must tell Star. Now, I'm not a stalker, but I really have been a huge <laughs> fan for I've been a huge fan for years. I saw you many, many years ago on Fox and I must say that you had me at your welfare story. And it really is truly an honor to finally get a chance to chat with you and have you on the show. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it.
3: Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate that I had you on my welfare story because it's so relevant today. I mean, when you think about what the left wants to do to put everybody on government dependency, it is very relevant. You believe the lies of the left, which is what I did, that my problems were someone else's fault, that I shouldn't mainstream because the country's racist, or that I was poor because others were wealthy. And you start Believing those kind of lies, which is what a whole lot of Americans are now doing, you will end up in a very reckless living roller coaster criminal activity, drug activity, sexual activity, not only in my life, but in everybody I knew. And I ended up on welfare, as you just mentioned. And it wasn't until a Christian conversion that I changed my life. And the reason that it's so significant that it is a Christian conversion is because Christianity demands personal responsibility. And upon that change, I began to get a hold of my decisions. I finished college. I started a business. And now I'm in Washington, D.C., trying to dismantle the welfare state and all those lies of the left so that people can live free?
2: Well, I think you can even expand on the reason why the left is trying to brainwash people. Not only is it for control, but you know these shutdowns, what's the first thing that they wanted to shut down that still shut down is churches? Because you just said religion and Christianity has to do with personal responsibility. And if they don't want you to have that kind of accountability... Well, then why would they want you to go to church and listen to that kind of a message? So, uh, What's
3: unfortunate about that is that the pastors actually did it that they actually shut the churches, of all times to be open. Then you have all of this aggressive, peaceful protesting going on, and the churches are still closed. I blame the pastors. No government should be able to come in and tell a church, you shut, and the pastor gets on his knees and says, yes, sir.
2: That's kind of my thoughts, too. I had a problem with Ben, and I, there's, there's only one pastor that's out in California that's really standing up for it, and all these other ones have all this money, and they have all the, the platforms, the, um, huge followings. Nobody has stood up and said, Why are the doors
3: well, not there open? Are few. No, the one, yeah, you're right, but there, no, there are more coming up. I mean, the one lawsuit was just one here in Washington, D.C., where this Baptist church said, oh, You've got to be kidding. We're not going to not do this. And, and in Nevada, they're still fighting, even though they lost a couple of rounds there in the courts. But just the fact that the church has to go and file lawsuits, there's something really wrong when you think about not just the First Amendment protections to express our religion, but also to assemble. And we need to really fight back. So anyway, you're right. I do believe that the message of Christianity, personal responsibility, is one that should resonate in more hearts of the people and that they should be able to go into the churches to fellowship with one another. But this one, these pastors don't even get me started. And in fact, it's one of the reasons Rick and I wrote this book, Necessary Noise, how Donald Trump inflames the cultural war and why this is good news for America. Because it's the very churches that we're talking about and pastors that we're talking about and people that we're talking about that don't understand and what's at stake in this next election is the reason that we wrote this book. It's the reason that God had Donald Trump win that election. This country needed a Constantine. It needed a pharaoh. It needed someone willing to throw the brick against the wall and say, we've gone down this fast track to Marxism with a totalitarian government at the end of that road long enough. It's time to turn this ship around before we go over that cliff.
2: Well, I think that's a great segue to bring Rick in. And Rick is the president of Americans for Limited Government. And when I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, I told him that the number one thing that really impressed me and I admired is in his profile, his first word that described him was Christian. So, Rick, do you want to say a little <laughs> bit about your son? It really was. I was like, oh, my God, I love this guy. I mean, that's my admiration for you, too, Stars, because anyone who's proud to be a Christian and not afraid to say it, especially in this time, is just somebody who should be celebrated and listened to, um, somebody that... You know, you should look up to because that takes courage. And who would think that actually saying that God is good and America is awesome, like you both do? We're silent majority, whatever you want to call it. It's just especially in the swamp that you're in and, and you're in that whole political arena you live in a world of the left and I mean it must be discouraging for you to constantly have to battle that but you could guys can get into that once rick comes in but rick yeah, do you wanna, uh, yeah give a little bit about sure. you and even how the two of you guys met because it sounds like you're destined to be partners in, in many endeavors
4: yeah thank you well i grew up in Southern California, did in more rural part out in Riverside County, primarily. Grew up doing politics for all intents and purposes. My parents were very active in politics, and the apple didn't far from, fall far from the tree. And so I was involved in politics throughout my youth, probably the most of... Uh, important event that occurred in my life, and it was a tragic event, was my little brother died when I was nine. A year later, I was sent away to a church campus on the anniversary of my brother dying. And my, you know why my parents sent me away? Because they were focused on other things. And I gave my life to Christ at that point, and it was uh, an incredible experience. Now, I didn't really do much with it for a while, but I went to the University of Southern California, got a job coming back to D.C., was a lobbyist for National Rifle Association for nine years, and Basically, inculcated myself into uh, the uh, the freedom of First Med Star when I was working for J.C. Watts at the House Republican Conference, and just over time, we we've, we've just belonged to some groups together. We've become friends, and I was blessed when she asked me to help her put the book together. And I think it's a good a good recitation of why Donald Trump is probably the most important politician in my lifetime. And, and I, that, includes, that includes Ronald Reagan. And, and, and the reason is this our nation had accepted the language of the left when you accept the left's language you are accepting their assumptions that are behind that language and as a result america was afraid to talk about freedom they were afraid to talk about the issues that mattered that matter to us culturally the lie that we were fed and told was that talking about religion and politics was impolite and i'm sorry religion and politics religion in particular, if we're afraid to express our beliefs as Christians, then we are not being Christians. Jesus didn't tell the disciples to sit in your basement and think about this. He said, go forth and make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. When Jesus told the apostles to do that, he meant it. And he means it for us today. And so by not proclaiming our Christianity, we are, in fact, violating the very essence of what Christ tells us to do and the demand he makes. Because if we fail to tell people about Christ, then who's to blame for their lack of salvation?
2: We get what we deserve. Almost like we suppress what really matters because it's what, not politically correct or it's, it's shunned. But that's what their agenda is. I mean, they don't want you to have any independence or—let me back up. You guys have been in this world in D.C. for a long time, and when do you think the shift happened where it got so extreme, where it became bad to have faith in God and to actually love this country? Because I don't remember it being this bad when I was in my 20s, but I wasn't paying as attention as much, but now it just seems everything is so negative towards this country and they want to change it. That's but you're right. It. You know what mean? I mean? I just don't get it. When, do you know when well, it didn't went? happen Did I... overnight.
3: Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I think that what Rick pointed to, that we accepted their language is a starting point of when they were able, those that have always hated God, throughout history they've hated God, that's when they were able to take a hold on our culture, and begin to push out ideas that were contrary to our founding, contrary to the principles of Christianity, the virtues of capitalism, and the rule of law that's outlined in our Constitution. Rick mentioned off the table are discussions about religion and politics, and might I even add death, since Rick interjected that his beginning in Christ was upon the death of his brother. When we think about death, and one of the reasons that it's in that that cannot be discussed in polite company is because death makes us think about eternity. It makes us think about mortality. And what the left tries to do is pretend that there is not a God, that there is not an opportunity for us to one day meet him and have to account for our sins. That's how they get away with messages of situational ethics. So when you say, when did it start, we actually talk about a little bit of the history in Necessary Noise that we looked at the 60s and start thinking about the time that they scrubbed our schools from all reference to God when they began to Make us think that women and men are exactly the same, so this construct of marriage is inconsistent with the new ideas of freedom and the new ideas of sexual expression. So we then coupled that in the political world with a welfare state. By the mid-60s, when we were already starting to see the cultural unravel, we then had messages in our public policy that said, don't worry about natural consequences to the decisions you're making. We now have safety nets, and those safety nets began to take such a hold on our society that God government began to replace God. Five years after Dr. King's death, we had Roe v. Wade as national law. Now we're going after what God calls his reward to even try to convince ourselves that there is no humanity growing in the womb. So yes, this didn't start overnight, but I do agree with Rick that Donald Trump was elected to extend an olive branch to our country, a hand of mercy, not getting what we deserved, which was death. After all that we have done to reject what God was attempting to do in our founding and to wake us up, so that we could get back on that track toward those principles that made this country great.
4: I just want to read you the first two sentences from Necessary Noise to answer the question and how we got here. They say that a frog will boil to death if the temperature of the pot is gradually increased. But if there is a sudden increase in the heat, the frog will jump out of its once cozy bath with no harm done. America owes President Barack Obama a huge thank you for turning up the heat under the pot of our cultural war. The fact is that Mr Starr said, this is a long brewing pot. And it's a it's a long brewing pot that President Obama, truthfully, when he said he wanted to fundamentally transform America mm-hmm. and then sought to do that woke up America and said, wait a second, we can't have this. This is not what I've signed up for. This is not the America I know. And so as a result, Donald Trump is a cultural revolution in a way that most people don't think about it. Because Donald Trump says what he thinks. He says what a lot of people think. And it isn't the approved language of the left. And quite honestly, sometimes he says stuff that makes me really cringe and I wish he didn't say. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is... He's taking on an entire world of culture that's been impressing Americans and saying, you're not American. Freedom isn't, you know, you're not free from government. You are, the government is is the provider of your essence. You're no longer one nation under God. You're one nation under government. Donald Trump, by taking that on, and I don't know that he realized he was taking that on, essentially did what, and, and I'm not equating Donald Trump with Jesus Christ in this, I'm merely making a historical reference. When Jesus was before Pilate and explained that he was the truth to Pilate, Pilate said, what is truth? Chaos veritas. Right. Because when we think about situational ethics being new and all this new you know, secular humanism being new, the fact right. of the matter is that was a Roman credo that power was what mattered. Who had the sword? Who had the legions? Was what mattered? Not what was the God-given rights and, and God and the relationship with God and, and the sovereign God having the power. You know, so we see all the way back to over 2,000 years ago, that exact point being made by Pontius Pilate in the Bible.
3: And then our founders changed that by establishing a country where man could live free to worship this God who would then give insight and wisdom. And what Rick is talking about in the person of Donald Trump, you know, that those that now pretend that he was not sent for this moment and that there are things that he says that makes us cringe. Well, the scripture is on his side because King Solomon said in on one occasion, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Donald Trump is a friend of this country. In fact when he told Biden to his face the other day, You're the reason I ran, is because mm-hmm. he knew that this country was founded on some principles that were being transformed very rapidly now since the election of Barack Obama and he wanted that stopped. The other scripture where King Solomon throughout the Proverbs reminds us of this moment we're in is that iron sharpens iron. When you think about love, you think about rebuke, because that's what happens in marriage. It's why we correct our children. And so people that want to say that Donald Trump, even on the question of race, hates black people, as we're now starting to hear, simply because he's honest enough to look This community in the eye and said, I have enough confidence in you that you can self-govern, that you can live responsibly, that you can be successful, that this somehow is against the principles of humanity and or black humanity and or against the principles of the founding of the country. So no, this moment is important. The election next week is incredibly important to decide as a people, which direction are we going to go in? Are we going to be biblical and free people? Are we going to be secular and status? Go down. Down this road that has been tried before and is still being tried in countries like Russia and China and many, many of those that are third world. Are we going to continue down that path? And that's what's at stake. And that's what this book is pointing to for mostly that evangelical Protestant that is so disturbed by his language that they would vote against their own principles because of a personality that they pretend that they don't like.
2: So do you see at least from both of your points of view that That message is actually penetrating to people that you would think have a little bit more common sense that are more on the fence or maybe they decided to change their minds. Or is it really that they're so brainwashed or they're so determined because, you know, it was offensive in a tweet that they're willing to give up all their liberty and their freedoms and their religious freedom to vote for Biden. I mean, I just you would think to. That, like you were saying on our show that we did, Rick, that even some of the people that you go to church, which they're, they're just not seeing it, like, do they really realize what's at stake here on next week? I just, I don't think they people realize what's going to happen if I win.
4: Well, and I really have a hard time putting myself in the mind of people who, who can't see truth. But that's a, I will tell you that there are honest people who believe in in the country, who take a look at Joe Biden, and they say he's safe. They believe and have been told the lie that he's safe. And that's the reason he got the nomination was because he wasn't, his eyes didn't go in opposite directions when he talked. His eyes kind of stare in a glaze. And so the objective, Joe Biden's whole role here is to attempt to to make people feel that a vote for what his policy is, is a safe vote. You know, the whole thing he says, come on, man, you know me, is essentially <laughs> you know, trust me, he's the ultimate used car salesman who's got a junker. He's trying to sell people, and he's selling it based on people know him in the community. Politics is well, politics. That's a, of people, that's a part people, of it. They're trying to turn it into a senior senior class. Essentially what the left is trying to do is turn this into a senior class election for president, as opposed to turning it into a country, who's going to lead the country, and who going to have and what policies should
3: be done. Yeah, most people don't think about policy when they go into the election booth. There is a reality that humanizing a vote and making people feel good is something that folks want, they desire. And frankly, a lot of the challenge that we have for why so many, almost half the country, would be willing to go in and vote against their own Personal interest is in marketing, and how Republicans and those on the right have even marketed our ideas or what is really at stake in this country. No one wants to be called stupid, and the more jokes we see about, you know, how stupid people are because they're Democrat, how dumb they are that they would even be in that camp, what is wrong with them that they're, they're, you're, we're calling their grandma dumb and stupid, and the dialogue then shuts down immediately. And that has been a part of how we've been narrating. Now, now, there might be excuses for why that is true, because it has been a rough, not only the eight years of Obama, but then the threat last three years of roller coaster trying to just fend off the hard left to get anything done here in Washington. But I really think we need to rethink language and marketing on what it is that we're trying to accomplish for society, to even tell a Christian that they're not Christian because they may vote for a Democrat or may even be a Democrat. I think that that, that Christian then finds it offensive and then that you can't reach them on other points because uh, they I end
2: up there's... just shutting down and then exactly. you, well, nobody right. wants
3: to be called stupid. <laughs> nobody wants yeah. to be called you're dumb. What, is, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, well, my mama. In fact, yeah. I was just talking to a very, very dear friend. You know, the, the party changed on them. <laughs> so it it and and yes, it takes time for people to get to that reality. It's how come Trump won? There were a whole lot of blue-collar union guys who traditionally and for such a long time were Democrats. When you start looking at the battleground states, they are just catching up with the fact that the party changed on them. And no, we have not had these structures in place, the counter media built to be able to answer some of those things. You know, the scripture's clear that you know, the one guy on the stand sounds really good until you hear the other side. So we have spent quite a bit of time on the right complaining about mainstream media instead of going and building alternative media, even though now we're starting to see much more alternative media grow up. So is it too late? I hope not. I hope that more people on Tuesday say, you know what, we've got a, we, we, whoa, 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 I can see this more clearly that they feel the heat of that frog in that kettle and that they vote for their principles. But we've got a lot of work to do, even if the reality is that we get a little darker before we start seeing that light. That instead of complaining, you know, I was telling another friend that when the high tech guys were called into the Congress and they, they were sitting there in the hot seat, every one of the good guys kept asking them about censorship and threatening them with censorship if they didn't pull their act together every one of the black caucus members asked for a position on the board we need to really get wise as serpents we need to get wise we're not going to destroy corporate america so we need to start demanding and pushing and working toward positions on the board so that we can turn this around whether it's in the tech world whether it's in the media world whether it's in the entertainment world whether it's in the education world
2: yeah, your your point that you brought up that we need to be a little bit more careful on our messaging and marketing on the right so we don't shut down the people that Just actually thoughtful. are, and no one's talking about that. I mean, this is the
3: first time I've heard so anyone good. mention it. Look, here's the example I use often. I use Tide, and I notice now my 40-year-old daughter uses Tide, and her daughter, my little granddaughter, will probably use Tide, and I only use Tide because my mom used Tide. Now, mm-hmm. if somebody told me how stupid I am to use Tide because they sell Cheer, and Cheer might even be better than Tide, I don't know. I've not used Cheer. This is not the best way to market Cheer. The best way to market Cheer is to leave a little box of Cheer in my mailbox every now and then or keep bumping <laughs> ads to me so that the day that I finally decide that I just don't want to go to the store because I'm too tired, I'm not out of my tide, that there's this little box of cheer that was delivered to me. I use it and now I see my clothes are bright. I didn't even realize they were so <laughs> we need. Look, we're the business minds. We need to put them on oh, and funny. we need to stop turning into a big complaint machine and start thinking about the future of this country.
4: Let, let me give you two, two examples. So they're a little bit different, but I, I'm not going to go into the Tide Pod versus the Cheer Pod. Mode, <laughs> I don't know yeah, which one is
3: better. Um, <laughs> um, I like I'd the say, orange box. But,
4: <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not getting into that. I do the laundry, but I, I, I use whatever's cheapest. There's two things. First of all, in the African-American community, there is something that's happening in this election cycle, and it's extremely important. People who have big social media followings, big followings, really started with Kanye West, and at least it seems like it started with Kanye West. But people who have big social media followings have said it's okay to consider being voting for Donald Trump. It's okay. And so they've given permission to people, who know that the people they've been voting for have not been doing any good for them, and they've, but they've given them permission to look in a different direction. That's extremely important, and we've seen that time and again. And I think the Chelsea Handler attacking of 50 Cent was a, was oh, a perfect oh, example oh, oh, of how much that scares the institutional left let you talk about the Chelsea Handler thing. So I think that's very, very important. The second thing that has happened. Well,
3: no, it is important, Rick, because it, it got the attention of a lot of blacks yes. that are saying, yes, wait, it just a minute. And this white woman's wait, whoa, 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 what was this that we just saw and experienced? Because yes. someone said, yes. I don't want to send 60% of my income to the government. Go ahead. All right.
4: Yeah, well, and, and oh, by the way, Chelsea Handler's the ultimate Becky. you get down to it, there's a real, there's a whole dynamic there that I think played off of. But the other thing, we talked about union workers. And as an NRA lobbyist, I can tell you that the fight I always had was the gun owners typically viewed from a social perspective the Republican candidate to be more in alignment with them. The candidate who, or the pro-gun candidate, being in alignment with them because they were Democrat pro-gun candidates, but they viewed the Democrats as being more in alignment with them economically. So at right. times mm. when their economics were good, we crushed the other side, and because the pro-gun voter would come out in, in mass, but we lose those voters and not have as much influence over those voters when they, their personal rights became less important than their po- pocketbook. And so, what Donald Trump did is he brought those two things together, like Reagan did. He yep. brought those two things together in terms of aligning their personal beliefs, their cultural beliefs, and their economic interests and in recognizing that we 're trying to bring people together i 'm involved in trying to divest American companies from China and american actually government from China and yeah. economically and One of the things that that brings people together is when you talk about the oppressive situation in China, the fact they use child and slave labor, nobody in America, everybody in America is in agreement that we don't want to be using child and slave labor, that we do not want to be profiteering off of child and slave labor. So it's a place where you can get a starting point with somebody who might be on the left and somebody who's on the right, who come to this conclusion, perhaps for different reasons, but the starting point to have a conversation about the human rights abuses in China. And then it becomes, what can we do about it? And I think the divesting from China, having our governments not be giving money to China and capitalizing China, is a place where both sides can come together in agreement. And once we come together in agreement on one thing, we can have conversations on everything else. And that's one of the, I think, one of the real positive impacts, assuming we we survive this little short fight, the real positive impacts of the investment movement from China, because I think both sides can come together. And in finding that, we may discover we have a whole lot more in common than we have different.
3: And so that's what we tried to do in Necessary Noise. Rick and I looked at five pulse points in our culture where we know people have interests, whether those are personal interests or whether they're economic interests or whether they're collective interests, because we actually have a section on black noise, and we wanted to have that discussion in a very candid way to say, listen, here's what has happened to this country. There is swamp noise. There is a problem with the way we see government in our society today. When 60% of Americans get more from government than they put in, we have turned upside down for 60 years ago when 20% of Americans got more from government than they put in. We address the gender noise. We address the tolerance noise. We go through these and look then at the opportunity noise. What we had over the last three years and what we can look forward to if this president is re-elected and then after he's reelected, to at least begin the process of getting back toward the freedom and the responsibility that was expressed through our founders. You know, what's very
2: interesting. Your joint approach on how you're going about this is something that I've not seen before, and I'm I watch all the political. I mean, I it's all day, and I know I shouldn't, but I do, and it's on social media, and I'm not heard your approach by anyone else where you're actually, yeah, you're talking about conversations which the left loves to abuse the word conversation, but yours actually has meaning behind it. You're finding the commonality between the two sides, but you're integrating Christianity and verses from Bible and it's a history lesson. And it's also, as you said before, Star, you're talking about not putting down somebody who might consider voting for Biden, with your great analogy about the detergent, so that you're not shutting them down immediately, and I think that well, or giving them really, an excuse that's what works, or that's what the, yeah, that's or what giving them an works.
3: excuse. I mean, you hear yeah, you hear a lot out of this Christian. Oh well, you know, I just can't because it's so over my head. I think I'm just going to wait for eternity. Jesus is coming soon. This is what we're beginning to get feedback, as opposed to people deliberately thinking about even if it means at the fifth grade level, what's at stake in mm-hmm. them participating in voting, where are the public square is going for their grandchildren, it just in case Jesus doesn't come back tomorrow or next week. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's-
2: a home run. You guys have the model. I just, it, it, well, well, you just it,
3: gave me an idea then, Michelle. I'll announce it now. So then after the first of the year, Rick and I are going to do our own little, maybe not a podcast, because I like the live thing. It's going to be called Necessary Noise with... Rick and Star, and we're going to just sit down and just talk about these things for fifteen, twenty minutes, and, and blast it out hey, on the internet.
4: <laughs> M- Michelle, you know that might be the first time you heard that, but it's also the first time I heard that. So you know, I was going to I, think, <laughs> I, I
3: feel,
1: just it, got the I idea. No,
3: when she, when she <laughs> I was, was talking about it. it. She said, "You guys have a blend." And I'm thinking, you, you know, know what, we do, and, you yeah, do, and we need it. some place to put it. <laughs> Other than on
2: shows I, like this, because of the book, <laughs> I was going to suggest it that you guys start doing a tour. A live tour. I mean you can't go you can't go in person yet for the most part, but that's yeah. what needs to be done because i I um, just got that. but within the first 10, even ten minutes, I'm like, this is different. This is going to work because it's you've got male female, you've got you've got a black, black white conservative female, which is almost like, you know. It's like that rare diamond that you, there's like four of them on <laughs> the planet, and then you've got, you've got the. No, 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 no I'm
3: going to correct you funny man two, too. No, 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 Michelle. <laughs> two million blacks went into that holding booth last time, 16, and voted for Donald Trump. Two million. Okay, they can go there a little 8% and try to make it seem small if they want to. Two million. All we need this time is for them to go back and then take a friend. That's it. So, now I'm not a rarity. A third of African Americans poll that they are evangelical and conservative. Now, they loosely use that word conservative, not in a political perspective, because they are using it in reference to their evangelical, their Christian worldview. But 20% of African Americans in this country consistently use conservative in a political context. We just need to go get them, because the challenge that we're having are people like what Rick brought up earlier with what happened to 50 cent and others that are economically at that station that they need to start thinking about their taxes. We're at that place as African-Americans. In fact, the new data out of the census just a month ago showed that we now have more blacks in this country that make $75,000 or more than we have that make under 25,000. This is a turning wow. point that should have been uh, the headline of the paper. We've known for a long time 75% of black folks in this country live in the middle class, but now we have data to show just how well they live in the middle class. And when you have 29.7% that are in 75,000 or above, and 26% in 25,000 or below, this is headline news. And so yes, I did just get the idea that we're going to do necessary noise, Rick, so I'll talk to you about it later. After the election, we'll (laughs) do it.
4: Going on with what Star was saying and proving that we do think, think a lot along the same veins, you know, one of the most dangerous things to the establishment is record-low African-American unemployment. One of the most yeah. dangerous things to the establishment is record-low Hispanic unemployment. One of the most dangerous things to the establishment is women being finding equality and opportunity in the workplace as they have over the last three years. You know, and so... I often try to emphasize where we were before the China virus was was unleashed on us. And the last point of reference is February unemployment numbers. And each of those things was true. Based on the February unemployment numbers, most people don't realize that the wage gains in the last three years through 2019 were disproportionately for the lowest 40% 40% of the population. Disproportionately, the, that percentage of the population, people made the less, were getting were about nine and a half percent increase in their wages, and the upper 20% didn't had had virtually no increase in their wages. And so all the talk about wage disparity that had existed in the left and we have to basically cap people's incomes and like no that's not the way to do it. It's to make poor, it's to make people who are at the bottom richer is the mm-hmm. way to do it. And Donald Trump's policies were doing that because he was lowering taxes for everybody. He was going off and he was he eliminated regulations that were strangling opportunity throughout our nation and he set up fair trade deals, which did not allow foreign countries that use slave labor to dump steel and other products onto our economy, driving good-paying jobs overseas. By doing those three things, he put together the magic wand that effectively created wealth that percolated, actually started at the bottom and percolated up. And that is a secret to success, that's a secret of capitalism that Republicans have forgotten how to defend. And that's the truth. Donald Trump is the most dangerous person to the establishment left, not because of anything he says. It's because his policies free people to think about their own economic interests in ways that are separate from the government.
2: And to provide that personal responsibility, but also give you the tools to create your own success, and they don't want that. They don't want any of that to happen. They want you to be under their control, which is the whole concept of the welfare, right, Star? I mean, it's like full circle.
3: That's exactly right, but what we do know about individuals is they want to survive and they want to get some money. They want to be successful. So, they, you know, they want to survive, and they want to be successful. And we are the side that ha- – we and we have the tools to that. We are the ones that know how to do that. I mean, I'm in the process right now of writing a column about Jared Kushner, who's now in the hot seat, because all he said was that, you got to want to be successful. There's nothing that this administration can do to set policies in place for a community if that community doesn't want it. And now, you know, it's a few days out of the election, and this is in the racist column, and now it's running through black America. So the point is the individual we know, the heart of the individual we know, even if the poorest of poor have any type of ability to get out They try. They want out. So our job is to remove governmental barriers that have been put in place to stop them from getting out. Welfare policies, education policies, money should follow children to schools parents want, economic policies, Social Security must be reformed with personal IRA accounts, with personal retirement accounts, with money not going to the IRS, but going to an IRA so that people can begin to build wealth, build net worth, build transferable opportunity for their grandchildren. So there are a lot of ideas that have been around the right and percolating. But going back to what Rick originally said, when you start adopting the language of the left, you undermine your ability to then sell truth.
4: That's exactly right. And and Dar, could you just, just, I know we're about to wrap up, but along the lines of what you're talking about and and the Jared Kushner example, can you just remind people of the billboard campaign that the left tried to cancel that you guys, that CURE was involved in?
3: tried to cancel. They did. We're in lawsuit. We are are filing right now against Black Lives Matters and Clear Channel Outdoor because Cure ran billboards in the middle of all of the beginning of this peaceful protesting where people's neighborhoods ended up in total ruin. We wanted to talk to the 12 year old that's sitting there crying. We wanted to talk to the 14 year old who's been convinced to cross his arms and run out there in the street and burn his own neighborhood down. And we wanted to give them the truth about Success. We wanted to tell them moral truth, home truth, scientific truth, which is a success sequence. If you are really tired of poverty, so the billboard said, Tired of poverty? Had a beautiful black woman on it. The other one had a beautiful black male. We ran them in these urban communities. Tired of poverty? Finish school. Take any job. Get married. Save and invest. Give back to your community. We had a little scripture, Proverbs 10.4, had our website that would have led them to five books so that they could be successful. Les Brown's Laws of Success, Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson, Men and Marriage, George Gilder, God, Money, and You by Philip Libatori, and Michael Hyatt's Free to Focus. What happened? Black Lives Matters demanded that Clear Channel Outdoor remove those billboards. They threatened them. They used all of the tactics of the KKK to intimidate Clear Channel Outdoor to breach three contracts with us because we were in three cities at that point on our way to 20 cities so that the people that really need to hear a message of hope and a message of you can do it would get that message because it's a simple process to break the cycle of poverty and yet they were demanded down that's how entrenched these ideas of the left are that they are not going to allow people to live free that they will keep the poor poor so that they will keep their power so did Clear
2: Channel just say to you, basically, sorry, we're going to cancel the contract, or did they make up some reason? Oh, or honey, say, they Black not only threatened oh, us, and we, they, they, can't, we have no. They, choice.
3: they intimidated them so badly. I mean, they put their numbers on. The end. Oh no, they. The Clear Channel was out there the next day, pulling our billboards down, throwing them down, explaining to the media, but like just like all the rest of these big corporations, throwing mm-hmm. money at Black Lives Matters, hoping that it won't come and destroy them. A billion dollars over here. Here's five hundred million over there. Here, do this, do that, oh, anything that you can do just to pretend that we're really getting somewhere, that now we have infused a Marxist group to be, go out there and shake down America to try to transform it into a utopia that looks like communist China. This has to stop. And so, yeah, we're, we're in lawsuit with clear China. No, they they bent their knee immediately. And you know, you kind of can't blame them because you got to sit down and count the cost. And one of the costs is that these guys are very, very powerful. This also didn't start overnight. Remember way back 20 years ago when Jesse Jackson shook down Toyota. They paid him mm-hmm. out $450 to make him go away. Nissan, here's $650 million, Go away, please. It didn't go away. It built their momentum to now take on all of the tactics of the KKK to intimidate people, to go to their homes, to put their numbers on the Internet, to try to cancel them out of their lives and rake all types of havoc over them. And the strategy is working successfully. I'm here in the Washington, D.C. area to where yesterday they have started boarding up already because not mm-hmm. only were the peaceful protesters— coming back last night, but they're supposed to be here all throughout next week. So everything here looks like a ghettoed ghost town yet again.
2: It's insane. It's totally insane. And as you mentioned, it's fueling the fire by giving them the money because not only did they succumb to the threats and they now have... A lot of money to go ahead and fuel their their mission, and they have these resources. So you've given how many billions of dollars to Black Lives Matter, and not none of that money is going to black communities that need it. What she, what like your organization is doing. They we should it have learned, to you guys. Yeah, they should What have.
3: we should have learned from Iran and that terrorist deal, you cannot negotiate with terrorists. You cannot negotiate with people who use innocence to to make their demands and that's what's happening in these black communities the folks that live there are in terror that 5 year old that 10 year old that 15 year old who by no fault of their own has been zoned into an absolute ghetto that now you have major interests that are making sure that that community stays that way they're fighting everything with all the energy they can to break down the opportunity zone initiative that the president put in mm-hmm. place because they want these communities in this type of terror so that they can stay in power. You cannot negotiate with a terrorist.
2: Sorry, I know that we are way over on your time, but real quick. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just say everything goes smoothly. Well, things are not going to go smoothly Tuesday, but Trump wins. Now, what can people do to help push this movement that you and Rick are working on to change things from a different approach in in these communities if Black Lives Matter and Antifa are just going to actually have – More power and more hatred to go do more destruction from a political side, a threatening side, or, you know, obviously the violence and the $2 billion of damage they've caused over the summer. We can't do anything about that. But what can people do to help you guys or to have conversations or do something? What action items can the audience participate in. Is there
3: anything? Yes, immediately, based on this particular podcast and based on our book, Necessary Noises, they can go out, every one of them, buy 10 copies. It's a big investment, but push this book up into the bestseller category. Give those other nine copies to friends that you know. Leave them anywhere that you're going so that people will see at least some truth. But if we were able to get this voice stronger, and then after we negotiate a deal to maybe do our own. News item called necessary noise. That's how you start really pushing at them. We build ourselves up so that we can be bigger than them. I remember when I uh, read a quote years ago. I, qu- I pulled it out of Forbes magazine. It was talking about basically what we've become. is like a complaint machine. And it said that you're not going to win the debate. You're not going to be able to, you know, curse your way out of the old model. You're not going to be able to fight it, fight your way out of the old model. You have to build a new model and make their model obsolete. So what we have to do is build a new model. It is a concept of capitalism. When you see something that's not working effectively, you don't go beat that thing up. You build something better. If the horses weren't getting you where you needed to go on the pulling the buggy, you go make a car. If the car is not getting you everywhere you need to go, you go and make an airplane. You don't start bashing the car. So this is what we need them to do. Go out and buy 10 copies. And I'm serious about this. I run a nonprofit. I would love to say, hey, give to my group. But I think right now what needs to happen is we've got to get these voices out stronger into the mainstream we have to build a new model of voices who are not ashamed of the gospel that are willing to speak truth into this culture so that we can begin to turn things around
2: can i give it an amen
3: is that all right and i hope that they'll go <laughs> by the book I just that's what we need you know, the challenge yeah. for Rick and I, the book came out a year ago right in the middle of impeachment. And right mm-hmm. and right after impeachment, we're in COVID. And this is not a place to try to push a book that talked that dialogues about culture. So it's been a slow process of trying to grow and get this book onto the table of people that need it the most for this very election that happens next week. So that's what your audience can do us a favor to do is go out and get 10 copies of this book and give it away any and everywhere you can.
2: Rick, anything that you'd like to contribute
4: my one last thing is, yeah, it starts right in terms of the book, and do that now. But you know what? We all go places. We all, you know, if you go to church, make sure your fellow people go to church. Understand why it's so important that they vote. America is and naturally. A free country. We understand what our DNA is, and but we've been told that we're supposed to be ashamed of our DNA, our DNA of all men being created equal, endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. That's our DNA, and when and we've been told that we can't, that we're supposed to be ashamed of it. Go get five people, ten people, and make certain they vote. Do everything you can to make sure they vote, because if America turns out to vote. America will win. So don't allow anybody to tell you that you should not vote in, to get in your way in any way, shape, or form. And get those who are, who are like-minded to do so. The, do so and, and then after November 3, November 10, November 16, whenever
3: it's <laughs> over, after that. January 2nd, January we, we need to be, you
4: know, the fact is we have to be prepared for that to then win the argument over the next four years. And that's where we transform, and that's where the book comes in because it helps you win the argument over the next four years, and not by through confrontation, but through understanding and finding commonality that we can build off of. Thank you so oh, much looked, for the okay. time you've you've provided us. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. really is a yeah. Great opportunity, and, and Star, we will catch <laughs> up on the uh, podcast idea. And and,
3: uh, and I hope that I'm on, and I hope that we I, can um, a, also visit next week. Thank you. So it's very good. Thank you so much.
2: You guys have been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. And I hope to have you on and celebrate our victory with Donald Trump as the returning president of the United States next week. That'd
3: That'd be be great. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Have a wonderful
0: day. Star Parker and Rick Manning are authors in our Books for Good campaign, and their book is featured on our Everything Home Socially Conscious Marketplace. To help spread their message, if you buy their book, Necessary Noise, from necessarynoisebook.com, 2% of your total purchase price will be donated to STARS Nonprofit CURE, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. The funds will support a program to help kids in the communities her organization serves. STARS and Rick's information and links are listed on our main website everythinghomeresourceplatform.com That's everythinghomeresourceplatform.com They are the newest partners in the Everything Home Socially Conscious Referral Network and we will continually be promoting everything they do and are very happy to have them as members of our Community. Star Parker and Rick Manning are perfect examples of good people doing good business and good things. ReopenAmericaResourceCenter.com. Are you struggling personally or professionally because of the coronavirus shutdown? Ready to grow your business and serve more customers and clients? Finally, there's a trustworthy website with resources, relief options, grants, support, and much more for small businesses, nonprofits, and individuals. One location with all the information. It's time to get back to work, life, and reopen America. Visit ReopenAmericaResourceCenter.com today. The ultimate resource platform to help
1: you in every way. You've been listening to Everything Home with Michelle Swinnick. Life.